Welcome to the Grace Community Church Podcast. We are grace for everyone, community for everyone, church for everyone. We hope that as you listen to the message from this past Sunday, that your heart is encouraged and you find yourself being drawn to Jesus wherever you're tuning in from. We are so grateful that you've joined us and pray that you'll be blessed as you listen to this week's message. Hey friends, uh, what a great kickoff we had last weekend. Thanks again to everyone who helped put the brunch together, uh, for Sylvie sharing her story, uh, the, the idea that God meets us right where we're at, right where we are as we are, and that we're all invited on this journey of discovering who God is in our lives and in the lives of those that we are in community with together. This, this journey of discovering the, the goodness of God that we see in Jesus. And uh, one of the things that we're going to be talking about as we get into this next series is, is what we bring with us on that journey or what we add to our faith on a regular basis. We, we all have stuff that we bring with us when we come to Jesus. For some of us, it's, it's our past, it's, uh, it's hurt, it's trauma, it's uh, unhealthy pictures of faith. Some of us have uh, baggage from uh, our, our growing up years that we're dismantling and uncovering what it means to be faithful to Jesus in this day and age. For some, there's very little pact when it comes to faith because we didn't grow up in church circles or we didn't grow up with uh, a household of faith and we're discovering for the very first time who Jesus is and what he means for our lives today. So some of us bring lots in our suitcase and some of us have very little pack. Some of us, you know, have stuff spilling out the sides and others are, you know, taking the bare minimum walking into this relationship with Jesus. And the good news is, is we're all invited into that journey regardless of what we bring with us. We're all invited to turn our eyes towards Jesus and to walk in his kingdom. And sometimes, actually oftentimes, it means we're going to have to unpack some of the stuff, some of the stuff from our past, whether it's things that we learned about Jesus or learned about faith that maybe don't hold true to us now, or whether it's uh, misconceived ideas about who Jesus is that we've learned from, from media or from outside uh, sources beyond you know, the Bible, beyond uh, the Spirit speaking to us through the life of Jesus. When I was thinking about the idea of like what we bring with us, I've gotten much better at packing when it comes to travel. I used to take way more than I needed. I, I would come home with half of my suitcase untouched often when I would go on a trip. And so when, when you have a certain amount of restrictions, it can be really helpful in knowing what to pack. So if you have a weight limit, you know that you can only pack a certain amount in the large suitcase that you're checking. Or if you travel just with carry-on, you have a size that you have to work within. Like when I traveled overseas last fall, I was gone for 10 days, but I had to fit everything that I needed into my carry-on because the checked bag was going to be for some gifts that we were bringing for our friends in Estonia. And it's a good thing that we did it that way because that checked bag actually ended up getting lost for about five days. And I would have had half of my trip with just the clothes on my back. So having that restriction of having to fit it all in just the, the small carry-on bag made it easy for me to bring only that which was essential, to only bring those things that I was absolutely going to need. And every once in a while, it's good for us to consider what we're bringing on this journey in our relationship with Jesus, to look at what we've packed, to look at what we're carrying, and ask ourselves, 
Do I need this? Is this essential? Is this, is this helping me grow and mature in my relationship with Jesus? So today we're beginning a brand new series called Jesus plus nothing equals everything. We're going to look at what it means to, to get down to the essentials of following Jesus, to living a life of faith, stripping things down to what really matters to our lives, that it's Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus alone, that this is the one that we turn to, this is the one that we uh, have alive and at work in us. This is what really matters. Because we have a tendency to add things to our faith. We have a tendency to add things to our spiritual lives that are not always helpful or not always true. Some of them are not even righteous and good. Some of the things that we have added have actually hindered our walk with Christ. We, we tend to drag that baggage around with us and we often encourage others to pick up the same kind of stuff. And that's not a new thing. We see it in Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, which is what this series is going to be based on. We're, we're getting into the book of Galatians over the next few weeks. And the overarching theme of that book is about not adding anything to the gospel to keep it simple and unpolluted, that it's Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And the temptation from the very beginning of the church has, has been to have certain markers for faithful followers of Jesus. That in order to be a, a Christian, in order to be somebody who follows Jesus, you must <clears throat> walk in a certain way, you must act a certain way, you must look a certain way, you must be part of a certain group or participate in certain things and abstain from others. The, the do's and don'ts, the can'ts and won'ts tend to work their way in in our desire to walk faithfully with Jesus. And, and the book of Galatians is Paul's attempt to address some of those things that have crept into the churches in Galatia. So let's get into the letter. We're only going to tackle the first nine verses in this message. A uh, bit of an introduction to the book. So we read Galatians 1, beginning at verse 1. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. And all the brothers and sisters with me to the churches in Galatia, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the, the introduction to this letter, the way we would often, you know, write our own letters. We, we say that, you know, to, to, my, to my dearest friend or to the one that I, I, I long to, to be with, my, my, my good friend, this is who's writing. It's Paul saying to the, to the churches, Paul the apostle. It's, it's helpful to remember what kind of literature we're engaging with. We're, we're engaging with a letter, a letter written by Paul, an apostle of Jesus. Now, Paul was a man who didn't walk with Jesus while Jesus was with the disciples. Paul wasn't one of the 12 disciples, um, nor was he one of the ones who came to faith while Jesus preached about the kingdom in the Judean countryside. Uh, Paul, back in the, in the beginning of his story, was known as Saul. He was a fierce persecutor of the Jesus movement. He presided over the stoning of the very first martyr, Stephen. He was, he was a Pharisee who was a, a member of the religious elite and up until a miraculous conversion on the road to Damascus, he was known for breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Saul was an, an enemy of the church. He was trying to stamp out this new movement that was starting up, um, following in the footsteps of Jesus and following in his, 
teaching. But after his dramatic conversion, Paul became one of the most prolific church planters and missionaries in his day. Paul started many of the churches that we know about in the New Testament, including Philippi, Thessaloniki, uh, Corinth, Ephesus, and of course Galatia, uh, the churches in Galatia. So Galatia is in what, like was in what would be now modern day Turkey. So kind of, you know, north Greece, you know, off to the side. Um, and uh, we actually just finished a series, First uh, Peter was writing also to the churches in Galatia. So Paul is writing to a number of churches that are kind of in this province of Galatia. And they're churches that he helped start years earlier. Um, and now he's writing to, to address some issues that have come up. And he, he begins by reminding them of his credentials, that he's Paul, he's an apostle, uh, that he maybe wasn't one of the 12 disciples, but that that the calling came from Jesus. It wasn't that um, somebody else saw this in him and said, oh, you'd make a really great preacher. It was, it was God stopped him on the road to Damascus and completely changed his life. His calling didn't come from human sources. This is going to be a thread throughout his letter, that, that it's man's interference in the ways of God that get us in trouble. But this this calling of Paul was directly from Jesus. When he met him on the road to Damascus. It was the voice of Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? So Paul opens up with some clarification about his credentials. He says, Paul, an apostle sent not from men, not by any man, but by Jesus himself. That that the message that they have received through Paul came from Jesus. And he includes the community of faith that he's currently walking with, likely the church in Antioch, one of the first major churches of the Christian faith. It's, it's the church in Antioch that this is likely where Paul is writing from, where he's based at the time when he's writing. Um, this is the first place where um, people were called Christians, those who followed Jesus. They were little Christs. They were the ones who walked in his footsteps, the church of Antioch. It's also where the infamous holy hand hand grenade of Antioch originated from. If you consult the Book of Armaments, you'll find that. I'm totally kidding. That's just for the Monty Python fans out there. But Paul is likely writing from Antioch. Around 48, 49 AD, possibly before the Council of Jerusalem that we find in Acts 15. It's tough to nail down the exact dates, but it seems based on the writing and the issues at hand that that this is what Paul is addressing, something that's going to come up in the Council of Jerusalem in the book of Acts. So it's it's helpful to understand some of that context when we when we were thinking about why and why is Paul writing this? What 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 is he trying to get at? What is he trying to address? Because this is what was happening in the churches at the time. If we read that little passage from Acts 15, we'll, we'll, we'll discover sort of that this has sort of been going on, not just in Galatia, but throughout the churches, that there are some issues that have been creeping in um, when it comes to salvation in Jesus, faith in Jesus, and what it means for us to walk faithfully. Acts 15 verses 1 to 12 say, Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about the question. The church sent them on their way, and as they traveled through Phoenicia and Samaria, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. This made, sorry, this news made all the believers very glad. So when they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and elders to whom they reported everything God had done through them. 
Then some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. And then a couple of verses down, uh, James agrees. He quotes, he quotes the prophet Amos and then he says, It's my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. So here's what's going on in the churches right now. There are Gentiles who have been hearing the good news about Jesus, who didn't grow up in the Jewish faith, who didn't grow up waiting for a Messiah, but they hear about this salvation and they're getting saved and they're being filled with the Spirit and it's, it's clear that God is working among the Gentile people. And so those who grew up with the Jewish faith, many of them are saying, well, in order to be fully saved, you also need to become fully Jewish. You need to become part of the family of God. And so there are people coming into the Gentile churches and they're instructing the believers to, to become circumcised and to walk in the ways of Moses. And they're claiming that if you want to follow Jesus, you must first follow Moses. That it's Jesus plus Moses that equals salvation. And that's why Paul's writing. He's saying, no, 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 this is an erroneous teaching. This is, it's clear that God has been um, doing something new with the Gentiles. And, and we shouldn't be putting a yoke on them. That's Peter's words, right? We shouldn't be putting a yoke on them that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. We shouldn't be making it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. It's Jesus plus nothing. It's not Jesus plus Moses. It's not Jesus plus the law. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. So Paul, after his little introduction, wastes no time in getting down to that issue. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. He says, I'm astonished. I'm astonished how quickly you've turned from the truth. You've, you've turned so quickly from the message that you just so recently received. He says, I'm astonished. That's a really bold word. It says, I'm amazed. I'm astounded. I'm, I'm shocked. I'm stunned. Flabbergasted would be a great uh, appropriate, you know, modern interpretation. It's like, it's utter disbelief that the Galatians have been so quickly turned away from the faith. How quickly they've deserted the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ. And he's saying, I'm the one who called you to that. I'm the one who brought you this message. They're turning from the message that he brought them and going to this new message that says it's Jesus plus Moses. It's Jesus plus the law. That they're, they're giving up on the amazing grace of Jesus. The key words there are the grace and, and gospel, the good news. You're turning to a different gospel. Well, what is the gospel? 
The word itself means good news. What is the good news? Boiled down to its simplest form and one that most Christians across the world can get on board with, the good news is summarized in John 3, 16 and 17. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. This is the truth that God loves us he sent his son Jesus to save us. His death and resurrection have made a way for us to be with him forever. And so we follow him. We tell others about his goodness. For God sent his son into the world, not to condemn us, but to save us, to save the world through him. Now, there are some who place emphasis on different aspects of this good news, answering questions like what we need to do to be saved and what the nature of that death and resurrection is and what happens to those who reject the gospel. There's, there's things that, you know, make up different um, aspects of what that good news is, but essentially that is the good news. God loves us. He sent his son to save us. If we trust in him, we will have eternal life. But there are those who would want to add some conditions to that good news, that it's not simply enough to trust in him. It's not simply enough to believe in his name and to have his life living through us. And that's what's been going on in the churches in Galatia that Paul's addressing. People have come in and we're teaching, you have to follow the law of Moses in order to be saved. You have to become circumcised. That these believers have begun to turn to a different gospel. They've gone like, oh, okay, well, I guess I guess we should turn back to the law of Moses. I guess we should look into what it means to be faithful to the law as well as faithful to Jesus. That it's Jesus plus Moses or Jesus plus the law. And why isn't that still good news? Why, why is that now a different gospel? I, I guess it, it boils down for Paul, I think, and for, for me, is as soon as you go to that adding something to the good news. And as soon as it's about following the law, you have to ask yourself, when have I done enough? When have I been faithful enough? When have I been good enough? When have I been um, obedient enough to the law to know that I have been saved? How do you know that you followed the law properly and perfectly? Because the law was only brought to us to reveal the trespass. It was only brought to us to show us where we had gone wrong, where we had fallen short. It was to point out the sin. It didn't actually deal with the sin. The law didn't help us uh, overcome the sin. It only revealed and uh, brought us to a place where we needed to repent, where we went, ah, oh, we've fallen short. We need to ask for forgiveness. Paul, writing in a different letter to the Romans, says, uh, in Romans 7, he says, My brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you may, might belong to another, to him who raised uh, him who raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us. So we bore fruit for death. But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law so that we may serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Attempting to follow the law in our own strength only increases the passion that the law prohibits. It's like having that big red button in the middle of the room saying like, don't push it. As soon as you have a sign that says don't push it, the temptation is to push it. If you tell people to not think about the big red button, the only thing they're going to think about is the big red button. And that's what law does to us. And Paul uses this example in the next couple of verses. He says, what should we say then? Like, is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. 
But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin was dead. So the problem isn't the law. It's not, it, Paul's not saying that the, the, the law is bad or that the law is, is, should be thrown out. It's that we can't put our trust in the law. We can't put our faith. We can't add this to. We can't say that it's Jesus plus the law that gives us salvation because the law can't save us. The law only reveals what's short in us. It only reveals the sin in us. And if you're guilty of breaking one law, you're guilty of breaking them all. So you'll never be able to keep it perfectly. So adding the law to the gospel makes things really messy. It's adding something into our suitcase that isn't going to be helpful. Paul doesn't mince words in, in uh, Galatians here. He says, this is really no gospel at all. This is not good news. If you tell people that you have to be circumcised in order to be saved, if you have to follow the law of Moses, you, you are stripping the good news out of the uh, out of the story. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And he says, but even if we, even if it was me, even if it was an angel from heaven that preached something different than the gospel you heard, let them be under God's curse. If, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. There are people who are trying to pervert the gospel. And Paul is saying nobody has the ability or the authority to do that. Not him, none of the other apostles, not even the angels in heaven should be adding to the good news because this is the good news of Jesus. It's his work. It's what he has done. It's not what we do. It's not what we do to earn our salvation. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. So if someone comes to you and says that you need to be circumcised in order to be saved, they're adding to the gospel and that that addition should be ignored. If someone suggests that you need to follow the law in order to be saved, they're adding to the gospel and those people should be ignored. But hold on a second. <laughs> because Paul says it's not that the law is bad. The law helps us understand where we've fallen short. It's when we put our trust or our faith in those things. And I wonder if we don't still do some of that stuff. Because the, the danger can be that we throw out all of the Old Testament, that we throw out all of the law or all of the Hebrew scriptures and say that it's irrelevant, that it's, it's only faith, it's only Jesus. And, and, and the challenge in saying Jesus plus nothing equals everything is the temptation to just say none of that matters. It's not entirely true. The problem comes when we equate the stuff of the Old Testament, when we equate the laws of Moses with the work of Jesus, and we say that we need both of these things in order to be saved. No, to be saved, it's Jesus plus nothing. It is, it is him alone that does the work, and it's him alone that changes us, that molds and shapes our hearts that we follow in the ways of the law. I would, I would make an argument that we still, we still follow the Ten Commandments, or we still believe that the Ten Commandments are relevant, but we actually don't need them anymore. I have no desire to see them on public buildings or in school classrooms. I don't think we need to post them anywhere as though by putting those out into the world, we're somehow inviting people to a morality and a, and a righteousness that God is calling us to. You could probably take them right out of scripture if you followed the teachings of Jesus. If, if Jesus and walking in his way leads us to not covet and not murder and not lie and not steal. That if you go to the Sermon on the Mount and live by the Sermon on the Mount, the Ten Commandments will be more than covered. In fact, 
everyone that's arguing about having the Ten Commandments plastered everywhere would probably benefit from memorizing and living out the Sermon on the Mount even more than the Ten Commandments. Because it's Jesus. It's, it's his teaching. It's his kingdom. It's his way of life. Plus nothing else. But that's not all that easy to do. It's not all that easy to unpack some of those things or to set aside some of those things and still walk faithfully. Because we're still tempted in, the, in this day and age to, to look for a law, to look for the rules, to look for the, well, what does it mean? What does it look like for us to be faithful to Jesus? You know, the law might look different, but we still judge ourselves and others by outward appearances. You know, we say that if you're really saved, you wouldn't act a certain way. You would sound and look and, and behave in certain ways. Which often works out to be exactly the way we are. The things that we prefer are the way that we look, right? Like, it's funny how that works, but we are still tempted to add stuff, to add our rules and requirements for following Jesus. And some of them are good things. The problem isn't with the law. It's not with the rules. It's with where we put those priorities and what faith we put in the following of those things. They're, they're maybe good for us. They may be beneficial. Some of them may be, but, but they're not gospel. They're not good news. Like when we think of things like church attendance, there, there are some who would, who would hold to a, like if, if you're not in church every single Sunday, are you really a faithful follower of Jesus? If you're not reading your Bible every day, if you're, if you're not a person who's growing in generosity, are you, are you actually a faithful follower of Jesus? If you're not abstaining from certain vices, if you're, if you're not you know, staying away from certain places or certain things, like, are you really a faithful follower of Jesus? And whether we've been explicit with some of those things or they're implied, We've sometimes made those gospel or salvation issues, that this is about the good news, that if you really love Jesus, you'll do these things. If you really love Jesus, you won't do these other things. And the problem is we get the cart before the horse when we start talking about that stuff. And that's what was happening in Galatia. It was Jesus plus Moses. If you, you have to follow the law. It's true. Love, when it moves in our hearts, we desire to be more like Jesus. So we do become people who are more loving and more compassionate, more gracious. We do become people who probably abstain from certain vices, certain ways of being in the world because we're following Jesus and we've experienced his love. When we sense the spirit at work in us, we jump at every opportunity to be in God's presence and, and, and those powerful moments, which often happen at church surrounded by people of faith, worshiping in spirit and in truth and being encouraged by scriptures. But going to church doesn't make you a Christian. It's true that when, when we hear the spirit speak to us, we long for more moments where the spirit leads us. And, and often those happen when we spend time in prayer and, and in Bible reading. But prayer and Bible reading don't make us Christians. Those aren't the things that save us. It's true that certain vices wreak havoc in our lives and become difficult to get rid of. Like nobody chooses to be an addict, but abstaining from those things doesn't just, that doesn't make you a Christian. That doesn't save you. Adding these things to the gospel actually takes away from the gospel. It's, it's saying that it's Jesus plus something else and we diminish the work of Jesus in our lives when we say that. We're saying that what Jesus did and what Jesus is doing in us is not complete, that we need to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, that Jesus needs our help in order to save us. If we just do these things or not do these things, that we're going to be okay. And Paul is saying that's not the case. And that those who make certain claims like that should be under God's curse. It's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. That's the whole good news. It's Jesus. He loves us. He gave his life for us. 
We'll spend eternity with him if we choose to follow him and his life will be lived through us. It's his power. It's his goodness. It's he that transforms us. So don't be fooled into following a different gospel. What other different gospels are we tempted to believe? Well, maybe the gospel of good enough. That if you just live a good enough life, you'll earn God's grace. It's Jesus plus your good deeds. Or maybe it's Jesus plus your politics. If you're a Christian, you vote for a certain political party and you want to see transformation in the world based on laws and the way that we live in this world. Or maybe it's Jesus plus your social concerns. It's, you know, your stance on abortion or racism or gender issues that are somehow tied to the gospel. And that's not to say that social concerns or politics or good deeds aren't important. They are. But they're not salvation issues. They are not the gospel. There are followers of Jesus that are loving God with their whole heart, soul, mind, and strength that are on opposite sides of almost every issue from you because it's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. It's not Jesus plus our politics or our social concerns or our good deeds. This is the gospel. Because of his amazing grace, God sent his son to show us the way. That son laid down his life to give you life. And if you surrender your life to him, if you allow his life to be lived in you, and you attempt to walk in his ways, we're living in the grace of Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. It's all by grace. So we need to be careful that we don't add anything to this gospel and we don't subtract anything from it either. Jesus is our savior and redeemer. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And nothing else will do. And we'll get more into this next week as we continue into the good news about Jesus in Galatians. That Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Let's pray. Jesus, we want, we want you and nothing else. We don't want to add to or subtract from your good news. Where we've done that, would you forgive us? Would you help us to unpack those things that aren't helpful for us to carry along with us? Help us to see clearly and walk faithfully, to trust your righteousness, not our own attempts at being good. Oh, we want to reflect your life to those around us. So help us to walk in the light to live in such a way that others see and hear you over the noise of the world around us. Help us to be different because you're transform transforming us. We want to unpack some of those things that have been weighing us down and distracting us from the good news. So help us to trust in you, Jesus, you and you alone, that it's Jesus plus nothing that equals everything. For it's in your name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Thanks for joining us for Church at Home. We're getting back into our regular rhythm for the fall, so check the website for upcoming events and ways for you to connect. Ladies, this is your last chance to register for the retreat next weekend, so you won't want to miss out on that time of rest and connection. We hope you join us for the rest of this series as we, as we look at stripping down to the bare essentials, what it means to walk with Jesus, what it means to be faithful to him in our day and age. And we pray that God speaks to your heart through our time together. So thanks for being with us. We pray this blessing over you as you head into your week. May the beauty of God be reflected in your eyes. The love of God be reflected in your hands. The wisdom of God be reflected in your words and the knowledge of God flow from your heart that all might see and seeing believe. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Peace to you.